This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Fast forward a year and a half, two years later to me being this like kind of washed up dropout. Uh, she hit me up out of the blue and said, Matt, hope you're well. It's been a while. Funny story. I tracked down the creator of Skins. Uh, I happen to be interning for him now. We do this thing in the writer's room that he did in the UK where we invite teenagers and young adults to read script drafts and you know tell their own stories from school and maybe punch up the slang. Are you interested? You know, kind of as a thank you for introducing her to that show. And, uh, you know, I jumped at the opportunity and, uh, and I remember just asking, asking Brian, the creator, uh, can I meet the music guy? And he said, just email me a mix. Next day, he goes, hey, come to my office. And then he goes, can you do all the genres? And, and, and again, I'm thinking to myself, well, not jazz or country. And I have no idea what you're asking, but I'm just going to say yes. Yeah. And he goes, great. I need you to quit your day job. Your day job. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music. Let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they moves, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast, a podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. Also, to keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, music supervisor Matt FX, the silent giant behind the hit TV show, Broad City. Matt tells us what it's like growing up in New York City, how he became a music supervisor, and how one day he hopes to win a Jabigat. Uh, yeah, I said it, a Jabigat. So without further ado, let me introduce you guys to the silent giant, music supervisor, and my friend, Matt FX. Right, so, so, Matt, where are you from? I am from New York City. I am from uh, downtown New York in Greenwich Village, West Village. Okay, awesome. And so you've been your whole life? I have lived in New York pretty much my entire life. Uh, I lived in New Zealand for a couple of years when I was a kid, when I was four. Uh, I've spent a bunch of time in China and a little bit in the UK, but you know, I was, I, was, I was taken to the same apartment from the hospital that I live in today. And so how has being a uh, New Yorker shaped your life? I think being in New York shapes someone uh, in a very specific, kind of almost cultural way. Um, I, I didn't realize for a really long time how special it was to be from New York. Um, growing up 
I think my circle was small enough that all I knew was New York. And it wasn't until maybe kind of early teenager tween days when I was touring around the country for the first time that I that I started to see other states and realize just how different it was and start to, to realize that my identity as a citizen of the world is more tied into being a New Yorker than it is to being an American. Definitely a little later, a little later, kind of 17, 18, 19, when I was a college dropout, meeting kids moving to New York for the first time from Bumblefuck, Ohio, living in a shoebox off, you know, Myrtle Wyckoff, working at Urban Outfitters and going to the new school with $200,000 in college debt, that I realized how fortunate it was to be from New York. Um, because I wasn't one of the rich kids. Like, my parents are creatives. And, and, you know, it can be said that the wealth that we had growing up was, was more of like a cultural wealth than it was like a, like a financial wealth. Um, but my father, my father was a conductor, uh, was a conductor. Um, so he worked in classical music basically his whole life. And your mom? My mother is, uh, my mother is very Chinese. <laughs> um, if you've ever seen the show Modern Family, I'm basically Manny grown up in okay. that I have an old Jewish dad who has raised children who are now adults and like kind of tired of raising kids, just wants to watch the game and like a foreign trophy wife mom with a quick temper and a thick accent. And like I was that precocious, chubby, love letter writing, coffee drinking, pink suit wearing dork. Like that is our family. That is the three of us. The Beatles were the only alternative that my dad had to classical music in the womb. My mom, my dad was on tour. Like, my mom carried me through Mexico and the Netherlands and all of these different places. I want to take you to, like, leaving the happy time to, like, one of the most challenging times in your life. You had mentioned about boarding school. Boarding school. Uh, what, was your boarding, what was your boarding school experience like? Boarding school was crazy. Uh, it was all boys, 33 kids, and we, we sang in church uh, five, six times a week. We were performing every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and three times on Sundays. My dad had a relationship with the choir master of that school in that every time they did a big concert, Handel's Messiah, something like that, you know, four or five times a year, they used my dad's orchestra instead of an organist. And uh, when my brother and I, I have, an, I have a half-brother who uh, was from my dad's first marriage. Uh, he's five years older than me. When we were both born, my dad got the same phone call, uh, which was, uh, congratulations, he's mine in eight years. Wow. Uh, and so my parents paid $2,000 a year for me to have a full scholarship, tuition, room and board to the school. All they paid was 2000 bucks a year and my, my clothing costs, like the suit and stuff. And what were the challenges you faced at the school? Um, being in a grade of nine kids that you have to sleep 10 feet away from and not being friends with a single one of them. Looking at all these kids, you know, seven of whom were white. <laughs> Uh, and think to yourself, I am nothing like any of you. But I remember one time, there's a kid in the grade above me, and he'd been bullying me all day, and he'd been saying yo mama jokes all day. And we were at the park, and this is now, he's in eighth grade, I'm in seventh grade, right? Near the end of the school. And I said a yo mama joke back to this kid in the grade above me, and he, was, he had a single parent, his mom, right? Was the only person in his life. And he took it real bad. Nah, coming from a single parent home, bro. Yeah, but he had been bullying me for like an hour. He had been like taunting me. Yeah, but you hit a sweet spot, right? And so he literally just like straight starts fighting me. Like not even <laughs> like, and and this kid was tall. He was like the the basketball star of our school, 
if you can believe that we even played basketball. Uh, I'm crying, right? I've gotten the shit kicked out of me. It, it was like one of the most depressing times in my entire life. But I also look back on it so fondly because there is no other experience like, first of all, the musical training, but also, you know, it's kind of like the army or something. Like, it makes a man out of you. It, 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 you know, you lose something, but you also gain so much. After you left boarding school, you attended where? Uh, after I left boarding school, I went to LaGuardia High School, uh, which is uh, a public high school in Manhattan that the movie Fame is based off of. Uh, it's a performing arts school you have to audition to get into. Uh, alumni include Al Pacino, Jennifer Aniston, Adrian Brody, Adrian Grenier, Khalees, Wayne's Brothers, Nicki Minaj, uh, Azealia Banks. Matt FX. Uh, Matt. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, name drop. Name, name drop. Yeah. Where, where, where? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's funny. Actually, Azealia Banks was someone that uh, I, I was friends with. Uh, she, in many ways, like introduced me to a lot of music that I, I didn't know. When I got to that school, I knew the Beatles. I knew NSYNC. And, uh, you know, White Stripes, Linkin Park, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Like, there was so much that I hadn't heard, middle school panty droppers and Melly, and, like, first time I heard Return of the Mac, I was, like, 18 years old. And so for someone to be so down, to be like, oh, no, you have to listen to Biggie and De La Soul and A Tribe Called Quest, and on the rock side, you got to listen to The Strokes, and you got to listen to this and that, like... She knew so much about indie rock from back in the day and, like, obviously, like, grew up in Harlem. Like, that girl breathed hip-hop. Right. The way you describe her is, like, as an early-on music mentor. Early. A little bit. A little bit. Definitely. For someone like that, I'm a firm believer in the idea of being raised by a village, uh, you know. And uh, there are a few different times in my life where I am so unbelievably grateful looking back on what they sort of imparted and bestowed on me. Uh, because had it not come from their knowledge and their experience, I don't think I could have ever gotten that from Wikipedia. You know what I mean? Yeah. From, uh, I could have never gotten that from just reading some shit. It, it really is like someone imparting their, 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 their experience on you. Uh, after high school, did you, did you want to go to college? I don't know. The way I approached it was like having now had this, ridiculous upbringing with New Zealand and China and boarding school and New York. Like I wasn't going to be happy at any old university of blank college town. And I figured if I'm going to do this, I want to be in a city with a really cool music scene. So I made a list and I used process of elimination by cross-examining the schools in that city against uh, their music. And so Austin, Texas, LA, Chicago, Baltimore, New York, London, Paris, Montreal, Glasgow, um, you know, trying to think of what were the coolest music cities of that day uh, and then see if I can get into those schools. And I wound up with a choice between Baltimore or Glasgow. And I took the latter having, you know, my headmaster in St. Thomas as a school being a very British institution. And then I had a British boss as well in high school that I was working for who's based out of London. And, you know, I've, I've always been somewhat of an Anglophile. So, you know, I hear Scotland's cool. I love Scottish bands. You know, I love Scottish music. And so I was like, all right, let's give this a shot. And, uh, you know, no fault against the city. I think it's a very cool place. Uh, but it is not New York. I tie experiences very closely, I think, with the music I was listening to at the time as well. And, like, I have a very fond memory of those couple months. 
I think the thing is, is I was in a music program where I was learning things that my father had taught me, that St. Thomas had taught me, that LaGuardia had taught me for a fourth time. And, you know, my advisor said it best. He said, look, you don't need a degree to be in a band. So I left. I, I went back to New York. Uh, and for a year and a half or two years, I kind of floundered. Uh, if this was a movie, like you would get a montage with a cool song and it would show every odd job I had. I was uh, babysitting a 16-month-old boy named Atomic. I worked at a concierge mailbox service where I was, like, giving Paul Rudd his mail and shipping, like, $1,000 things to fucking con film festival, you know, just, like, in the West Village doing these, like, odd job ninja jobs. I, I ran a food truck on the High Line for my half-brother's cousin for a little while. Like, just, like, the most random-ass part-time jobs. Uh, and then after a few months of that, after like six months, eight months of that shit, I got a call from a girl who I met while I was in high school. I invited this girl and her friends over to my house and I showed them Skins, the British show. Mm -hmm. And at the time, one of her friends was someone who as a junior in high school had seen Rent on Broadway 135 times. Like, weird girl, you know, and immediately became as obsessed with Skins as she was with Rent. Fast forward a year and a half, two years later to me being this like kind of washed up dropout. Uh, she hit me up out of the blue and said, Matt, hope you're well. It's been a while. Funny story. I tracked down the creator of Skins. Uh, I happen to be interning for him now. We do this thing in the writer's room that he did in the UK where we invite teenagers and young adults to read script drafts and you know tell their own stories from school and maybe punch up the slang. Are you interested? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, kind of as a thank you for introducing her to that show. And, uh, you know, I jumped at the opportunity and, uh, and I remember just asking, asking Brian, the creator, uh, can I meet the music guy? And he said, just email me a mix. Next day, he goes, hey, come to my office. And then he goes, can you do all the genres? And, and, and again, I'm thinking to myself, well, not jazz or country. And I have no idea what you're asking. But I'm just going to say yes. Yeah. And he goes, great. I need you to quit your day job. And I've got a couple of A&Rs coming over in a few hours. Why don't you stick around? Let's work out a little under-the-table hand signal. And you can indicate who I should go tell the fuck off. Two hours later, three major label A&Rs walked into the office. And what was it that uh, you, about your playlist that you selected that you think attracted? Uh, I mean, I think you? I've always had a pretty good idea of curation, and I've had a good idea of diverse taste, understanding the zeitgeist, understanding the sort of XY parameter of what young people like, whether we're talking on the pop side or on the left field sort of underground side. I try to represent both, knowing the show very, very well. And knowing kind of like what an American version of that show should hopefully say. Because remember, Chingy started the British version. Clearly, they had no problems using American music. Right. So like flipping the script and using some foreign stuff, but also using some 
Like, look, Azealia Banks' Slow Hands cover was on there. Yeah. Um, shout out. Shout out. <laughs> uh, Freddie Gibbs was on there, you know? Uh, and I don't know. I, I just, I think that Brian saw the hunger in my eye, and he saw an opportunity there, and he knew I could do it. I don't know how he knew I could do it, because I didn't know what publishing was. I ordered a business card that said Music Curator. I ordered 500 copies until someone was like, oh, you know your title is supervisor, right? I don't know. I, you know, it was so, it was so early days. I was so green and, uh, and, uh, and I'm grateful for everyone I met. But back then working on skins, I didn't really know that many artists because I was so young. I was just a fan. And so, yeah, there were definitely a few calls I made early on. I was the first person to use Fantagram, Blood Orange, RL Grime, Aluna George, Freddie Gibbs, like, come on. Like, I paid 600 bucks for a Fanagram song that is now in Gillette commercials and Super Bowl commercials. Yeah. Like, I definitely called some things pretty early on. Um, but at the time, there was no way to see that. At the time, they were just indie acts. Blood Orange hadn't even br- properly dropped. He was still Lightspeed Champion, which was an emo project signed to Domino. Domino had his publishing, and so they were down to administer the demos. I synced a demo of Sutton Boulevard on Skins from his first album. Like, wow. it was, like, very early days. And so, I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting because Skins was one of the most critically reviled shows when it came to America. That show, the, the season finished before we got canceled. But the New York Times pretty early on printed the words child pornography in conjunction to the show. And from that point on, every single advertiser dropped out. And critics just hated on it. And so regardless of whether or not the show actually got better, no one was watching to the point where the only ads that were appearing during the commercials were Paramount Pictures ads because Viacom also owns Paramount. Every advertiser dropped out. It was just movie trailers during the commercials, which is in one way kind of lit, but like not something the <laughs> network wants. Right, right. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so like after that show got canceled, I sort of just thought that like supervision wasn't for me, that it was a fluke some random other odd job I did. Like, I kind of went back to the drawing board a little bit. I got another phone call, kind of like the one I got when Jennifer called me about Skins from the assistant editor of Skins, uh, Sam Rosenberg. And he called me out of the blue, and he said, Matt, long time, hope you're well. It's been a few years. I'm working on a new show. It's not working out with our music guy. We're going to air in four or five weeks, and we just fired him. Uh, I've been telling them about you, and they're ready to meet you. Can you come in? And that show wound up being Broad City. Look, Broad City is probably the single greatest thing that happened in my career. From what aspect of music supervision, what are the like struggles and hurdles that come along with that? It feels like one of those roles where this is like the perfect job ever. Uh, what it, like what hurdles and obstacles do you experience? People don't realize, I think, uh, how much budget plays into music supervision. Um, on a show like Broad City, which is in effect, a very low-budget show on Viacom, which is a very low-budget network when it comes to music and other sort of expenditures, uh, I have... Put it in perspective. To license Started From The Bottom from Drake mm-hmm. at a discounted rate, at a not full price, is $60,000. To use in the episode. To use once on television. For a commercial, it would probably be double or triple that. I have... Less than an eighth of that amount of money. Well, no. I have... Yeah, I have about an eighth of that much money uh, to do an entire episode of Broad City. To do 15 to 25 songs. So it's not... Have fun. Put all the music you want in the show. 
it's it's like here is nothing. <laughs> here is twenty five bucks. Cook me a five star meal. It's really on you being the supervisor to discover new music. Exactly. When I was doing skins, I had a little more than twice what I had on Broad City. And even then, when I was calling labels, it was like, I know this is nothing, but this is going to be a great show. On Broad City, I don't even, when labels hit me up, I like the first thing I tell them is how much I have. And most of the time, two-thirds of the time, they're like, okay, thanks, all right, have a good one. And like, you know, that's changed a little bit as the seasons have progressed, because obviously the show's gotten bigger. And some artists will tell their tell their labels, fuck that, I want to be on the show regardless. I don't care how much we'll make or how little we'll make. Publishers, traditional publishing companies could not care less. I do not work with Sony ATV on the show. Maybe one or two songs a season because we have to have that song. But even then, it's a six to eight week battle. You know what I mean? How much I'll spend on one of those songs will be like a third or a quarter of my episode on one song. So for me, on a show like Broad City, it is utilizing those connections I made when I was DJing a few years ago. You know what I mean? When, when just on Facebook, meeting artists, this community, the sense of, I was telling you before, hitting up these producers and, you know, getting music for $500, $600, because that's all I can afford. And, uh, and, and again, you know, it's like, have I not had these people in my life, I wouldn't be able to do this job. Had I not had Facebook, I would never have been able to do this job. Uh, how did Facebook influence you? How do you think I hit all these people up? Via Facebook? Via Facebook. <laughs> You are pretty active on Facebook. Meeting new people, like, the amount of artists I've, like, met just through, like, random ads, you know? Uh, so you've gone from being uh, behind the scenes to now in front of the camera. Yes, recently. In the past year, I've started hosting. How did that transition happen from... Um, Music you know, supervision to on-air hosting. Right. There's not a correlation there. Hey, look, man, that's a great question. I wish I knew the answer uh, exactly. But out of the blue last year, I got hit up by MTV, and, and they hit up my. They actually tweeted me over DM, uh, and said, "Hey, you know, uh, we work at we work with MTV, and we want to know if you get your manager's information." And uh, do do you enjoy being, um, being in front of the camera? I do. Uh, I don't know if I would ever necessarily act, and it's definitely not something that I would like to do forever. But in the same way that I never expected to be a music supervisor. I never expected to be an on-air host, and I don't. And I, I've, I've been able to nurture and cultivate those sides of me through the opportunities that have been sort of directed my way, and I'm grateful uh, for them, and will continue to sort of field them as best as possible. What is your goal as far as like you want to be remembered as? Is like Matt FX is this when it comes to your art? Um. I have this like half joke. It's not a joke at all, but it is a very easy way to put a, uh, a to put a, a, lo- a label on a very, very, uh, a very, very big undertaking. I'd like to be the first person on the planet with a jabigot. What's that? Uh, do you know what an egot is? Of course. So I think uh, a, well, uh, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. That's correct. Uh, so a jabigot is an egot with a James Beard award up front. Uh, so I would like all four of the originals as well as excellence in culinary arts. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I know that you can win the James Beard Award for being a restaurateur, for working in your community. You don't have to be a chef who spent 20 years working on a line because clearly that's not my path. I love food. I love cooking. Uh, but I won't be able to put in that time the way that true chefs do 
Um, but hopefully one day I will have the asset, the restaurant, um, the experience that will award me that honor. Uh, and really, I just want to do cool shit. You know what I mean? Right now, I'm 25 years old. Do you know how damn grateful and lucky? I mean, I keep saying it, but I, it's true. Do you know how, how happy I am to, to, to go to South by Southwest on Spotify's dime? Damn, someone brought me down here to like go to food trucks and interview people. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, fuck, like, God bless. Like, thank you. You know, and like and and and, and for lack or lieu of having the assets to direct my own film that doesn't exist yet. Or to, you know what I mean? To, like, open my restaurant that I don't that I don't have the assets to open. Like, I'm so happy to live these experiences. And hopefully someday I will get to do bigger and better things. But the only way that I could ever confidently do these bigger and better things is if I was properly prepared. Right. And, uh, and I think all of these different experiences are hopefully preparing me for what's next. Spotify. Spotify. Um, describe, you know, Unpacked. Sure. I just hosted a podcast called Unpacked. Uh, for Spotify, I was a co-host alongside one of their VPs of talent, this woman named Michelle Santucci, and uh, we went down to Spotify. We shot five episodes, or recorded five episodes. They're about twenty minutes long, uh, kind of very quick variety shows. Uh, but basically, my role in 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 the two co-hosts was uh, was kind of the man on the street. So they had me interview artists, attendees, event producers, uh, food truck owners, pedicab drivers. Anyone with a unique perspective on South by and Austin, Texas, whether you grew up in Austin, lived there your whole life, or you just flew over 24 hours from South Africa to be there, and try to sort of capture sort of a full, a full 3D image, if you will, in your head, audio only, of what it meant to be down there. Wow. And so um, how was that experience? It was, uh, it was interesting. I think the thing about South by that, look, it was my first time. And again, I'm very happy to have. Oh, was your first your first time at South by? First time in Austin, Texas. First time at South by, and very happy to be doing it under Spotify's wing. Uh, I'm so happy to have gone, and I think we did a very good job covering it. Will you be covering more festivals? I hope so. That's uh, that's not something I can say right now, but uh, you know, I sure as hell hope so. When has it already been released? So, yeah. If you go to the South by Southwest tab on Spotify, you will see uh, the Unpacked logo, and uh, there's five episodes up there. Boom. Boom. Well, Matt, man, thank you so much for being here on the show. Of course, man. Like, you're my brother. Thank you, man. Me too. This episode of Silent Giants was recorded at Alley, New York City's number one co-working space. Before I go, I want to say thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind the Silent Giants podcast. Thank you to executive producer Samuel Woke, producer Joshua Gwynn, editor Richard Mallory, and videographer Heather Hamilton. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.